Ephesians 5, 22. Let's pray together. Father, we come before you and we thank you for who you are. We celebrate your goodness in our lives. You're a wonderful father. We thank you for the gift of marriage. And Lord, we ask that you would pour out your spirit uh, into all of our marriages. Lord, that you would bless and encourage and speak to our singles. And as we look at marriage tonight, Lord, that you would be glorified, that we would be teachable wherever we're at in our marriage, that you would bring life, Lord, where there's death, that you'd put investment where there needs to be. God, that you would speak and that you would give us soft hearts towards you and soft hearts towards one another. In Jesus' name, amen. I'd like for you to think about marriage like automobiles, like vehicles. The guys are with me. The gals are like, that doesn't sound very romantic, but give me a second here, okay? So just recently, I purchased a 1978 Chevy pickup truck, right? My buddy and I were sitting down having a burger, and I know he's into old trucks. And I was asking him, how's it going with old trucks? And he says, Eric, I think I got one for, for you. A friend of ours is, is selling one of theirs for, for $500. That's all he had to say. I was hooked. Like, uh, I was like, all right, let's, let's do this, right? So I talked to Amber, and she was on board. And, and so he's been working on it a little bit more than me. But I just got it home uh, this week, and uh, it's sitting in front of the house. And so let's think of marriage like a 1978 pickup truck for just a second. So, so this pickup truck needs some restoration, doesn't it? It's 40 years old. And it, it needs some tender, loving care. And that's the beauty of it. And you may find yourself in a place with your marriage. It doesn't matter if you've been married for four months or, or 40 years. And it needs some restoration. It needs some new shocks. needs some new tires. needs some new spark plugs. Maybe needs a new, new radiator. But it needs to be restored. And what I love about this old truck is there's so much potential. There's so much potential with this old truck. Now, many people wouldn't see the potential, but it has the potential to be more valuable than any of our other vehicles. It takes an eye of faith, but it does have that, that potential. And so I want you to think through the lens of Christ that he can bring life where there is death. He can bring life where there's death. Don't be discouraged. If that's the place that your marriage is at, God wants to do a restorative work. We have a couple other vehicles Another one of our vehicles is 10 years old. Another vehicle is 15 years old. And they're at the place where they need maintenance, which is continual investment. If they're going to continue to be good vehicles, and they are, then I have to take time to do the maintenance. I got to take the time to continue to set aside some money to invest in those things. What happens to a good vehicle if you don't make that continual investment. It starts to break down, doesn't it? And that may be where your marriage is at. It's, it's going good, you know? It's not at that place where it needs a complete restoration, but it needs, needs some maintenance. Don't neglect the maintenance. Don't neglect the, the continual investment. And hopefully it's sparked by, by love. You know, hopefully that it, you're moved to desire to continue to invest in your relationship. But there's another vehicle that we have, and it's the one that we don't own yet. It's the one we're saving for in the future. We realize that one of our vehicles is going to go out eventually, being 10 years old and 15 years old and 40 years old. <laughs> and so we're trying to save some money every month for a car replacement 
to not have to go in debt when we get a, another vehicle. And for some of you, that's where you're at as being single. And you're like, great, I, I don't need to be here. I'm single. I don't want to hear another message on marriage. But I want to encourage you first that marriage represents Christ in the church. So we're all going to learn about Christ this evening. And also, if you have a desire to get married in the future, you get to prepare now, right? We're trying to prepare now for a vehicle that's sometime in the future. So it doesn't matter if you're a high school student or a college student or wherever you're at in the timeline of life. If you're single and you desire to be married, you don't prepare to be married when you meet that person. Amen? You start preparing now. And so, hey, who knew that you could think about marriage like vehicles, okay? There's a couple of things I want us to keep in mind before we get into this paragraph on marriage. And first, it's the paragraph right before in Ephesians 5. Look with me in verse 15 to verse 21. We studied this last week, but this is really important as we go into this section on marriage. So read with me from verse 15 down to verse 21. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And don't be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, here it is, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your hearts to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of the Lord. What is the most important thing when it comes to our roles in marriage? Being filled with the Spirit. Being filled with the Spirit. What has the Spirit been speaking to you this week? As we study what husbands are to be and what wives are to be and what God is calling us to, we have to be relying upon the Spirit of God. So we don't want to forget the paragraph before, but we also don't want to forget the context of Ephesians. Three key words, to sit, to walk, and then to stand. Our identity in Christ. So let's go back to chapter 1 of Ephesians and look at verses 3 through 8. Ephesians 1 verses 3 through 8 being reminded of who we are in Christ and seeing marriage in that context of our identity in Christ. So this is Ephesians 1, verse 3, reading down to verse 8. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence. That's some good stuff, isn't it? And he gave that to you before you were ever married. He gave that to you even when you don't fulfill your role as a husband or a wife. This is a position that we've received in God's grace. We have to remember who we are in Christ. But we've got to take a little bit larger view before we dive into marriage, and that is going back to Genesis chapter 1. So turn with me in your Bible to Genesis chapter 1. 
Because as we talk about marriage, we have to understand that marriage is God's creation. That marriage is God's institute. So Genesis 1, verse 26. Genesis 1, verse 26. Do we get to define marriage? Is it our institution? Is it our creation? Do I, do I get to say, this is what marriage is? No, we, we have to go back and say, who created marriage? God created marriage. It's his institute. So what is marriage in God's sight? Genesis 1, 26 to 28. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God. He created him, male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over living thing that moves on the earth. Chapters 2 and 3 of Genesis give us a close-up view of this account. God creates Adam, has Adam begin to name all of the animals. The animals are in pairs, male and female. Adam has to be noticing a pattern here, male, female, male, female. Yet there's no counterpart to, to Adam. He's realizing that he's alone. God gives us a summary of his creation, and he says, it's good, it's good, it's good. Till he gets to Adam, and he says, it's not good. And he then defines it, it's not good for man to dwell alone. And us men have been giving testimony to that ever since, haven't we, right? So then God creates Eve. And Adam sees Eve, and he's excited about the bride that God has provided for him, and they become one flesh. So what is marriage? Marriage is male and female created in God's image, joined together in a lifelong covenant to, to one another. So that's the, that's the understanding of what marriage is. So now let's turn back to Ephesians chapter 5 and look at verse 22. Ephesians 5 verse 22. Wives, we get to begin with you. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. We're going to look at the role, the responsibility for the wife and the role and responsibility for the husband. First, I want us to understand if we don't accept and look to thrive in the role that God is giving us, ultimately we're fighting against God's design. And in some, as you read this, both for the husband and the wife, you may say, I don't really like that role. That's not the way that I would do it. That's not the way that culture does it. I'm not sure if that, that's right. I don't want to do that. I'm not going to put myself in that direction in which God calls wives and God calls husbands. That's up to you, but you've got to understand you're not wrestling your spouse, and you're not ultimately wrestling anybody else. You're wrestling the Lord. Because this is what God has, has given to us. Now I want to try to plant another idea in our minds. Is do we want God's best for our marriages and our lives? Do we believe that Jesus came to give us life and to give it more abundantly? I think we would agree. We would say that, that's what I want. So then let's 
go to the one who has created marriage. Let's go to our good father and say, okay, I want to try to do marriage your way. This is so important if you're single and you desire to be married at some point in your life. What are you preparing for? Well, ladies, you're preparing to submit to your husband. That's the role that God has given you. So choose wisely. God's not calling you to submit to every man on the planet. I hope you understand that. But he is calling you to come underneath your husband's leadership. So don't marry a guy you don't respect. Don't, don't marry a guy you can't follow. Because once you say, I do, according to God's perspective, God is calling you to come underneath his leadership. So let's talk about what submission is not. Because submission's almost a cuss word, isn't it, in our culture, in our society? Most times when I do weddings, I read Ephesians 5, and I begin with verse 22, and it gets so quiet in the ceremony. You get people looking at me like, did he just read that? I can't believe that he read that. And some people are like, I'm going to go punch him in the face, right? And, and then they get intimidated by my size, and they decide it's better if they don't. <laughs> this is not popular, this whole idea of submission in, in, in our culture. First, submission does not mean that the wife is a doormat. So, so husbands, I hope that you understand that, and wives, you understand that as well. Submission doesn't mean that the husband is greater than the wife. Submission doesn't mean that the wife doesn't have a voice. The greatest illustration that we have of submission is Jesus unto the Father. Inside of the Trinity, we see complete unity. Three distinct persons, but one God. The Father is always complimenting the Son and building up the Son, and the Son submits to the Father. Jesus makes that very clear throughout his life. I came to do my Father's will. He respects and comes underneath the leadership of the Father. We don't get any indication inside of the Trinity that Jesus is leading the Father. The Father is leading, leading Jesus. And then we see the Holy Spirit is always pointing people to Christ. How do you know that the Spirit's moving when people fall in love with Christ? So there's the absence of selfishness, and there's submission with Jesus unto the Father, but all three are equal to each other. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit are equals. They're all God. It's not that the Father is greater than the Son, because then, in some way, Jesus wouldn't be fully God. So Jesus is fully God, so they're complete equals. So you have to understand that. You have to really get that in your heart and mind. And I think it's really important for husbands to go, okay, my wife is being called to come underneath my leadership, but that doesn't make me greater than, than her. And my husband's not greater. This is simply the role that God has called me to. In each of our lives, submission should be a very important part of our lives for our husbands and wives. We needed to be submitted to the Lord. We need to be submitted to the authority that he has put into our lives. So what might this look like, wives, for you to submit to your husbands? Let's say that there's a decision that needs to be made in the marriage. I think what a healthy marriage should look like is the husband and wife should talk about this decision and put all opinions and thoughts out on the table, search the scriptures. What does the scripture say about what we're trying to decide? Get godly counsel. Look for where there's common sense. Kind of put all of this together in a blender. And then hopefully you're going to come out with a decision that God, God has for you. 
Husbands, it's terrible leadership to just, to just go to your wife and say, well, you're supposed to follow me, so this is what we're going to do. That's not going to work very well. There needs to be a, a process of, of decision-making. Husbands, if you're wise, you're going to want your wife's voice and her thoughts and her opinions and, and really come to a decision together. But maybe this has happened in your marriage where you've gone through that process and you don't quite agree at the end of the outcome. Anybody ever been there in your marriage? Just somebody else, right? Somebody else's marriage. When that happens, wives, leave the decision up to your husband. And that is hard to do, isn't it? But that's what this verse is calling you to, is to say, you know, you are my leader. You're the the head of the home, and so you know where I stand, but ultimately I trust that you're going to seek the Lord and make a good decision. And then when that happens, that elevates the husband. That, that's where the husband goes, oh, it's, it's game on, right? Like, I, I have to make a decision? Well, I had an opinion prior to this, but now that I have to make a decision, I don't have an opinion. Like, I want you to make the decision. No, don't make the decision for him. Say, I really want you to, to make the decision and come underneath his, his leadership. Now, what if he makes a bad decision? Guess what? He's accountable to God, and God can deal with him, wives, better than you can. Can I get an amen, right? And ultimately, by submitting to your husband, you're coming underneath God's authority, and you're giving God the opportunity to do a work in your husband's life. Where do we see this played out in Scripture? Abraham and Sarah in the Old Testament. Abraham was a great man of faith, but he was also a big, fat liar, And he comes into Egypt, and apparently Sarah was extremely beautiful. And he knew that once people saw Sarah, especially the Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, that he would say, look, I'm going to kill Abraham in order to marry Sarah. So he comes up with a great God-honoring, wife-honoring plan and says, Sarah, why don't you lie and just say that you're my sister, that we're, we're not married right? And Sarah amazingly comes underneath the leadership of her husband. Bad decision. Wrong thing to do. But as you read this carefully in Genesis, God protected Sarah, and God dealt correction upon Abraham. And that happened twice in Abraham's life. He did it two times. And, and ladies, you thought your husband was a knucklehead, right? At least he claims you, you know? He's like, it's not like, hey, this is, this is my sister. He's like, this, this, is my, this is my wife, right? And here's the principle behind the submission. Here's the big picture to see in verse 23. For the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. What we're seeing here is a Christian marriage is an example of Christ and the church. That husbands are to love as Christ loved the church, and wives, you're a picture of the church. Your respect and submission to your husband shows the way that the church feels about Christ. So what is verse 23 telling us? It says, for the husband is head of the wife, 
is also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. So I hope we learn, most importantly, something about Christ through, through this message. Let's, let's see this through the lens of being the church and being the body. Jesus is the head of the church, not a pastor or a group of pastors or, or elders. Christ is the head. And we are to follow Christ. Christ alone is to have preeminence. Christ alone is to have lordship. And we come underneath Christ's lordship. And wives, that's the picture of submission. And then how does Christ lead? You know, what kind of, of head is Christ? And we'll see more of that as we get down into verse 25. But it's very clear. This is important For husbands to see and understand, we may not acknowledge this, but it doesn't stop the reality. Like, you may not acknowledge gravity, but it doesn't stop the reality. Is husbands, you are the head of your wife. You are the head of your family, meaning that you are the leader. Physically, spiritually, emotionally, that's the position that God has has given us and that he desires for us to fulfill. In a lot of ways, men in marriage and in the home and in the church is like a thermostat, right? It sets the temperature. And then you're going to set the temperature in your, in your marriage. You're going you're to set the temperature in your home. Pastors are going to set the temperature in, in the local church. And then the wives are, are responding to that. And they're saying, I, I'm going to follow this leadership that my husband is provided In verse 24, let's look at this a little bit closer. Just as the church is subject to Christ, so let wives be subject to their own husbands in everything. So we first have to ask ourselves as individuals and corporately, are we subject to Christ? There might be a few husbands out here that are like, man, I sure hope my wife is listening to this. This is good stuff. I'm so glad that we came to, to church and Pastor Eric's, saying stuff that I've really been wanting to say, right? And I hope she respects me and starts following me and does this whole submission thing. Well, here's a question to all of us. Am I submitting to Christ? Husbands, are you submitting to Christ? If you're desiring that your wife would submit to your leadership, how well are we submitting to Christ? Well, well I don't really want to do that. I haven't really considered that. Well, we have to look at ourselves first and say, I'm part of the church, and the church is submitted to Christ, and so I need to lead in submission. I need to make sure that my life is surrendered to Christ. And then wives, you may be at a place where you're really appreciating your husband, or you're, maybe you're not appreciating him so much. Ultimately, your submission to him is out of your obedience to Christ. Amen? Say, well, this is what Christ is calling me to. I'm part of the church, and the church is subject to Christ, and Christ is asking me to come underneath the leadership of my husband. If you're waiting to respect or follow your husband based upon who he is, you're going to be waiting a really long time, right? And probably going to be severely disappointed. But if you go, this is what God has asked me to do, so I'm going to choose to respect, and I'm going to choose to follow. Well, let's look at the husbands in verse 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. So husbands are called to love their wives. And in the Greek, this is agape. God is calling us to his type of love towards our wives, just as Christ loves the church. 
We need the Holy Spirit. Wives, you need the Holy Spirit to be able to fulfill your role. Husbands, we need the Holy Spirit to be able to love our wives as Christ loved the church. We're not capable of this kind of love apart from the Holy Spirit. Not that our wives don't deserve this kind of love, but this is something that can only come out of our relationship with Christ. Men, I want you to hear that. For us to really be able to love and serve our wives in the way that would glorify the Lord, we've got to be connected to the vine. We've got to be loving Jesus. Church, by the time we get to this point in Ephesians, if we're not charged up about Jesus, we're dead in the water. This is going to go nowhere, right? Marriages aren't going to change. There's not going to be life where there's death. There's not going to be restoration or maintenance or future marriages that glorify the Lord if we aren't touched with the love of Christ, if Christ doesn't have us, right? Hopefully the first half of Ephesians got us so overwhelmed by God's love, we're like, Jesus, I want to live for you. And because I want to live for you, I'm relying upon your spirit, and I want to fulfill my role inside of, of my family. But if we lose sight of Jesus, there's no hope in this. But with Jesus then we're able to love our wives as Christ loved the church. So let's think about this for a little bit. How does Christ love the church? Christ currently, presently loves the church. We've got this illustration. Marriage ultimately is a billboard that points us to Christ and the church. When you see a husband in love with his wife, go, wow, that's the way that Jesus loves the church in an even greater way, in a, in a perfect way. At weddings, it's fun to watch the bride come down the aisle, but then it's also fun to watch the groom and see the, the groom see his wife, see his, his bride and be overcome with emotion. And that's how Jesus feels about, about the church. Last week, we were driving back from Denver in Castle Rock, and there's a walking trail along the freeway. And there was this ancient couple walking along the Santa Fe Trail, I mean, the white hair was like the Bema glory of God. It, it was just reflecting off of, of the sun. And they were hunched a little bit, and they were just holding hands, walking down. You know, and I was like, wow, that is awesome. And Amber was with me. I was like, isn't that, isn't that so cool? Yeah, that's, that's the love that they have for one another. So whether it's walking down the aisle and the groom seeing his, his bride, or it's a couple that's been married for 50 years that's on a walk together holding hands, that's the way Jesus feels about the church. So how has Jesus loved the church? Well, first, it's unconditionally, isn't it? Unconditionally. If we have good days or bad days, if we succeed or we fail, if we sin or we have victories, Jesus has steadfast love for us. And husbands, God is calling us to steadfast love to our wives, unconditional love. If they have good days, great. If they have bad days, great. Ups, downs, the joys of life, the difficulties of life, our love remains there for them, unconditional. Guys, if you're thinking about getting married, realize that you're choosing unconditional love. You're choosing to, to love this woman that you will marry in the future through the ups and downs of love. It's, it's unconditional. Also, sacrificial. The thing about Christ's love is that he laid down his life for us upon the cross in order to purchase us to be his, his, his bride. Husbands, God wants us to be laying down our lives for our wives in a sacrificial manner, meeting needs, 
providing, laying down our interests for, for their interests. And most husbands would say, you know what? If someone broke into our house and they were threatening my family, I would lay down my life for, for my wife. And I believe that to be true. But you may not do the dishes, right? You may take a bullet for your wife before you do the dishes. Ladies, can I get an amen, right? <laughs> I'm going to pick on my brother-in-law a little bit. He married Amber's sister, and they'd been married for like six months, and we were at their house uh, up in Denver. Now they live in Minnesota. And I said, I said, Kenny, have you done any dishes since you've been married? And he got this sheepish look on his face, and, and he's like, no. I'm like, do you even know how to use the dishwasher? And he's like, no. <laughs> so I said, get up. We're going in the kitchen, and I'm teaching you how to do the dishes, you know? I'm going to teach you how to do the dishwasher. And then I called his mom. And I was like, hey, no, I didn't, I didn't call his mom. <laughs> but I was like, bro, you, you, you've got to serve. You know, and sacrificially is, is to serve. And we want to discover those things in our wives' lives, and each woman is different, but those things that really minister to them by, by sacrificing, doing something sacrificial to pursue their hearts. Maybe conversation. That's difficult for us, isn't it? To, to pursue a, a conversation. It may be helping with the laundry or, or doing the laundry and even better, figuring out how to do the laundry the way your wife likes the laundry to be done. Some of you ladies are saying, please don't tell him to do the laundry. <laughs> he is going to jack it up. He's going to mess it up, right? So learn to do it the way that she, she likes it. But the idea here is to say, how can I practically have sacrificial love for my wife. Christ's love for us is also prayerful, isn't it? So it's unconditional, it's sacrificial, but it's prayerful. Jesus ever lives to make intercession for us. And pray for, for, for your wives. And then also, faithful. It's faithful. Is there any doubt that Christ's love's gonna be faithful? That Christ's love's gonna, gonna be loyal? You know? You, you can't picture Jesus being unfaithful to us. So, Holy Spirit, would you fill us to love our wives as Christ loved the church? And we get a few examples here in verse 26. That he may sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word. That he may present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. This is speaking of what Christ does for the church and we follow Christ's example, is that Christ is washing us in the water of the word so that we can be holy and without blemish, that we could be presented in a pure manner before Christ as the, the bride of Christ. The church is the bride of Christ. So us as husbands, this highlights our responsibility for spiritual leadership inside of our homes and specifically our marriages, to, to wash our wives in, in the water of, of the word. Most Christian wives long for their husbands to take spiritual lead inside of, of their marriages. And that's probably one that's most difficult oftentimes for us as Christian husbands. So what might this look like? Well, make sure that your family's in church. That's the responsibility for us as husbands. You know, don't have the wife be the one saying, are we going to church tonight? Oh, I guess. You know, all right, we'll go, 
we'll go to church, right? Hey, we should be the ones saying, hey, it's Saturday, Saturday afternoon, let's get ready. Let's make sure that, that, that we get to church. Not out of duty or obligation, but knowing that we're going to get washed in the water of, of the, the word together. To make it a point to, to pray together as, as husbands and wives. I think the enemy really delights in attacking us when it comes to, to praying together. Here's the person that's the most closest to you, but yet it can be very difficult to pray sometimes. And husbands make it simple, you know? Maybe as you start the day, before you head out the day, or your wife heads out, grab her by the hand and say a simple prayer of God's blessing upon your marriage and your family and upon the day. Maybe it's at night, as you're laying in bed. Just grab, grab your wife's hand there in bed and, and say a, a simple prayer to the Lord. That's how we like to end our days, is we, we pray together, Amber and I, and I gotta tell you, they're not bring down the roof type of prayers. It's late, we're tired, we've got four kids, it's a small miracle, all of them are in bed, and we're in bed, and it's like, whew, all right? And it's a simple prayer to the Lord of thanking him and asking, and then husbands, take a moment and specifically pray for your wife. Pray that God would bless her and, and strengthen her, but that's part of being a, a spiritual leader. Another way to wash our wives in the water of the word is say, hey, what's God been teaching you? I bet there'd be some wives that would be like, my husband, he just asked me what God's been teaching me. Yeah, what's God been speaking to you? Or you go to church together? Hey, what did you think of, of the message? So, so what do you think of this whole roles in marriage? How am I doing it loving you? What do you think about that whole idea of submission, you know? Do you think God should pack sand with that, or wh- where are you at with that, right? Whatever the message would be, to be able to, to talk about it together. Maybe to read a, a, a devotional together, or read a book of the Bible together. But I want to challenge us a little bit further. Being a spiritual leader in the home is all of those things that I've mentioned, but the foundation is example. The foundation's example. As a husband and as a servant leader inside of my home, if I am not loving and serving Amber and the kids in my actions, and then I say, hey, let's go to church, that's going to be difficult to receive, isn't it? Right? If I say, hey, let's pray together, and my actions aren't lining up with, with that, that, that's, that's going to be difficult. Now, not that we have to be perfect husbands to be able to, to lead spiritually. Don't, don't think that. But a lot of times I think what we hear as husbands when it comes to spiritual leaders is go, okay, I've got to read through the book of Proverbs with my family. You know, okay, I've got to get my family to church. Okay, I've got to pray, pray my, with my wife. And all of those things are, are important, but if I'm yelling and screaming at my wife, then I've got to go, okay, Lord, that's not loving my wife as Christ loves the church. And for me to lead spiritually is to start to speak to her with kindness. Does that make sense? So we've got we've to look at those exterior things, but we also got to look at our character and say, God, would you change my character? Would you, would you mold my character that it is in line with uh, a spiritual leader? And Holy Spirit, help us with, with those, those things. And here's the principle. I hope this kind of just unlocks things in our hearts and our minds. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. I love this. This is the way that Jesus feels about the church, is he nourishes and cherishes the church. Everything that Christ does 
is either to feed us, to nourish us, or to communicate value. So husbands, a lot of times this is really hard for us to get what does our role look like practically. So are my attitudes and my actions towards Amber communicating that I cherish her and also that I nourish her? Am I building her up and am I communicating value in my actions? So we have this awesome picture that's taking place of love and respect inside of marriage. If, if husbands are leading in the way that God would intend and then wives are, are responding. This picture of being washed in the water of the word, it's humbling to be washed, isn't it? It's, it's humbling to allow somebody to wash your feet. Like, we like to take care of our own hygiene, don't we? And one of the things you think about being elderly and having to have somebody else bathe you, have somebody else wash you. And, and some of you wives, it's humbling to allow your husband to lead you spiritually, you know, to, to put him in that position of respect. So you, so you get this idea of, of a wife, not in an unhealthy way, but putting her husband on this pedestal of respect. Don't get the wrong idea with pedestal. I'm not saying the way we look to God, but I'm respecting my husband. But then the husband is kneeling down saying, I'm going to nourish and I'm going to cherish my wife. Everything that I do, I want to communicate nourishment and I also want it to communicate that I'm cherishing. And the reason why in verse 29 is it says, no one has ever hated his own flesh. The idea is, as you love and care for your wife, you're also caring for yourself because you are one flesh. What the scripture assumes here, husbands, is that we know how to take care of our basic needs. It's innate with us. I'm really good at making sure that I get coffee every day. I'm really good at making sure that I eat an adequate or an even more than adequate amount of food every day, right? The older I get, the more cranky I get about my sleep to make sure that I attempt to get the sleep that I need and that the temperature of the room is right and there's not a, too much light in the room. I, I'm concerned about all those things because I want to sleep, right? So as we care for our own flesh, care for your wife because you and your wife are one flesh. It's counterproductive to not care for your own flesh. It's counterproductive to not care for your wife. In verse 30, for we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. What is being declared here is that Christ cares for us because we're part of his body. That's really deep. So we're to care for our wives because they're part of our body. We're, we're one flesh together. Husbands, I'm just going to break this down. If you're being mean to your wife, that is the stupidest thing you can do on the planet, right? You might as well just punch yourself in the face, right? Just say, I'm being an idiot right now, right? There's a disconnect there for us. We're like, yeah, I'm not one flesh with my wife, so, so I can be mean to her and I can treat her like a jerk. No, you're, you're destroying yourself as well uh, in, in the process. That's, that's the message that's being given to us here. In verse 31, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is quoting back from the book of Genesis. 
You leave your father and mother, you cleave to each other, you're joined to each other, and you become one flesh. You are one flesh. That's how we need to see marriage, is this reality of this one flesh experience. So we don't want to live as singles inside of the context of, of being married. Every decision that we make, it affects one another because we are one flesh. For, for some, may, this may be the first time you've heard some of these things. What does it mean that you leave your father and mother and cleave to each other? Does it mean you don't have anything to do with your parents after you get married? Some would hope so, but that's not what it means, right? It means that your greatest human relationship is your spouse. Your greatest human relationship is your spouse, even before your parents, So you depend upon the Lord and each other first before depending upon your parents in all areas. You want to cut the cord of dependency to depend upon the Lord and depend upon one another. And if that cord of dependency is not cut in a proper way, then the unity is not going to be discovered. So let's say you get a raise at work. Who do you call first? I call my mom. Wrong answer. Right? If you're married, you call your spouse. You text your spouse. You're like, I got a raise. I got a raise. Right? Then you can call your mom. And you can say, guess what? I got a raise. Right? But you want to share the joys of life first with your spouse because they're the greatest human relationship. You're going through a hard time. Who do you call? You call dad. Get some counsel from dad. (laughs) Bad answer. You don't call dad, right? You talk to your spouse. And you say, man, I'm really going through it. What do you think? Can we pray together? What do you think if I call my parents? After you've talked to each other, right? Because that's the greatest human relationship. Ladies, if you have a girlfriend that's a better friend to you than your husband, it's time to shake things up. Because the greatest human relationship is your spouse. Guys, if you've got a guy friend, and I'm not talking about anything weird here, so don't go there, but just some dude that you like hanging out with, and you'd say, I'm closer to this dude than I am to my wife, that's the wrong answer. It's time to change things up and to say, my best friend in this life is my spouse. And I know for some of you, you go, wow, That seems so far out, I don't know that I could ever get there. Start somewhere. Start somewhere. Start saying, okay, we're going to take actions that line up with God's word. So if if God wants the greatest human relationship to be my spouse, then I'm going to start investing there and see the work that the Lord may do. Well, for you guys that know verses 32 and 33, We're going to cover verse 32 and save verse 33 for next week. We're going to devote one more week to the study of marriage. Verse 32, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. So this is a mystery that husbands and wives would be one flesh, isn't it? It's an incredible mystery that we're one flesh with with our spouse. But it's even a greater mystery that we're one flesh with Christ, that we have union with Christ, that the church has union with Christ. Verse 33 is all about love and respect, and we're going to look at that through a practical lens next week. Here's a few questions for you as we close. Have you accepted your God-given role in marriage? Have you accepted it? I'm not saying that you do it perfectly, but have you accepted it? 
Wives, have you accepted that God is calling you to submit to your husband to come underneath his, his leadership? I believe that your marriage is gonna be blessed if you accept your role. Husbands, have you accepted your role from the Lord to say, I'm to love my wife as Christ loves the church? Another question, are you preparing for marriage? You're saying, I hate that question. I'm single, I don't know if I'm ever gonna be, be married. Do you have a desire to be married? Let's be honest. If you do, then maybe God's gonna grant that desire and it would be wise to prepare for marriage. If you're on the younger spectrum of things, if you're a high school student or you're a college uh, student, don't wait until you're 30 years old to start preparing to be a man who's gonna love his wife as Christ loves the church. Young guys, I don't get a lot of chances to say this, you're gonna need a job. You're gonna need a J-O-B, all right? God is calling you to be a provider, right? Woo! So think that way. Think that way. You know, I say you're 16 years old. Go, man, I desire to, to be married, so I'm going to need a job. So start pursuing that and start working hard and preparing yourself to be a godly husband. Start to go a little deeper and say, what's my character? If I'm going to be a kind of man that loves a woman this way, I'm going to need to be genuinely in love with Jesus and start spending time in his word and start praying and following after the Lord. And then in the right time, pursue that relationship, right? There is a right time for a man who's walking with the Lord to to pursue a godly woman for the intent of of marriage. Young ladies, prepare yourself for marriage. Don't date every knucklehead under the sun. If you are 16, I would encourage you to run away from that knucklehead, right? He is not ready and you are not ready. Now, I didn't like that when I was 16, but I wish I would have listened when I was 16, all right? Woo, can I get an amen, right? (laughs) And then some of you are like, well, maybe it'll work out. Well, it'll work out if you're friends as well. Be friends now. And then it can work out in in the future. And focus on your character. Focus on loving the Lord. Focus on saying, is this a guy that I could follow, that I could really see myself respecting? And prepare yourself. And then another question, are we relying on the Spirit? And I love this question. Are we relying upon the Spirit? What is the Spirit saying to us? If you're single, what is the Spirit saying to you? If you're married, what what is the Spirit saying to you? And then, what are we responding to? As the Spirit speaks to us, then are are we responding? What's the reason for divorce? What causes divorce? Most people think adultery. And they say, well, that's the number one cause for divorce. And that's an aspect. But what causes someone to commit adultery? Selfishness. Selfishness. What's behind selfishness? A hard heart. Jesus said that Moses permitted divorce because of hardness of heart. Of hardness of heart. We can read through this section of scripture and there not be impact if there's hardness of heart. No matter where your marriage is or how long you've been married, What is the condition of your heart towards God and towards your spouse? And as we pray, let's ask that God would make our hearts soft. 
if there's two places that we want our hearts to be tender, it's first the Lord and then to our spouse. If our heart is not tender towards our spouse any longer, something's wrong, isn't there? And the Holy Spirit wants to come and do surgery in our hearts and our lives. So let's pray together. Father, we, we thank you for the gift of marriage. What a blessing. The companionship, the joy. Lord, how marriage produces children many times. And what a blessing that is in, in our lives. And God, we ask that we could see marriage through your perspective, that it portrays Christ in the church, that you have a good plan for marriage. And would you examine our hearts And would you reveal our heart condition towards our spouse? Give us soft hearts and give us ears to hear what your spirit would speak to us. Lord, we thank you for everyone in our church who's single and those that desire to be married. And we ask in Jesus' name, whether it's 10 years down the road or 10 months down the road, that you would bless them with godly marriage. That you would raise up godly marriages in and through our church for your glory. Lord, to those that you're calling to a life of singleness, we pray that you would confirm that in their hearts and their minds and that they would find contentment and joy in the singleness that you've called them to. So Lord, we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.